Boys, girls, it is so good to see you up here. I know you're excited to go back to Children's Church when we're done, and so I'm going to ask you this. When you head back, walk back. And when you get back there, I know you're going to be in for a great lesson. And then I do believe at the end of the service, you're going to come out here and you're going to hear about the announcement we're going to make. Does that sound good? Good. All right. Thank you so much. Hey, listen, I've, I bet you've never, ever heard this phrase before. Okay, Pastor Rex is going to be a little sarcastic now. Okay. Have you ever heard this phrase before? Because I said so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm one of those guilty parents that when my kids say, well, why do we need to do this? Why do we need to do that? As a parent, I'm one of those that said, because I said so. Right. Oh, you say that sometimes too? Yeah. See, we all sort of say that, but here's the deal. I think sometimes when we're in authority, we know we're doing the right thing. We're, we're giving the right instructions. And when somebody says, well, why do I have to do this? Well, being in charge, I feel like the appropriate thing is to say, because I said so. Okay? But here's a crazy thing. There's a wonderful book right here. And we come to church on Sunday. We always open it up. And what is it called? It's the Bible. That's right. And I was thinking about this. A lot of times we do things and we say, well, because the Bible said so. The Bible said so. You know what? What I think about who wrote the Bible? Now, we know that there's the God of this world that we worship and truly love and adore, right? And he had a son, and he sent a son, and his son's name is what? Jesus. That's right. And Jesus came to this earth, God's son came to this earth, and he taught a lot of great things. Now, wait a minute. What's the, what's the holiday that we celebrate that Jesus comes to this earth? Right there. Nope. You're gonna, I, you remember that answer because I'm coming back to you next, okay? Okay, what's the, what, when Jesus comes, we celebrate, it's called Christmas. So he comes and we're excited about it. He teaches all these great things. He does incredible miracles, but then he died on the cross. And that holiday, we celebrate Jesus coming back to life. And what is that holiday? Now say it. Oh, no, I think he said it backwards. Okay, what was the first answer you gave me? Easter. Easter, there you go. Yeah, Easter is when we celebrate him coming back to life. Thank you. See, you had the right answer the first time. Here's what happens, boys and girls. Jesus comes, that's God's son, he comes here and he tells us all these wonderful things. You know, so I was thinking about this. When I'm doing something that's right, it's not because the Bible said so, because it is, okay, but it's Jesus said so. God's son came and he taught us all these things. Boys and girls, he is the one that gives us the incredible direction, the right choices, the things we're supposed to do. So as a parent, I know I'm going to do this. I'm going to go up and I'm going to say to my kids, well, because I said so. But you know what? I've got to learn from somebody too, and his name is Jesus. And he teaches me a lot of things in the Bible. So because Jesus said so, don't you think we ought to listen to him? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. God's son has a lot of great things. I think we'd be well off listening to the words of Jesus because Jesus said so. Can you repeat, repeat this after me? Because Jesus said so. Let me hear you say it nice and loud. One more time. Because Jesus said so. Because Jesus said these things, I think we ought to listen. That'd be a great thing. Boys and girls, you may go to your class. Can you do me a favor and walk there? Thank you. And they are off to their class. And I'm going to ask you to do this. We're going to grab the words of Jesus Christ. Would you grab your Bibles, please? And you're grabbing your Bibles. 
You're going to open those up to Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, just go ahead and raise your hand and we'll get one to you. We've got plenty in the back. 1 Samuel chapter 30. I want to thank everybody again. We've gone through a lot over the past month. Uh, and actually a couple months with Overflow. We're wrapping it up. And this month, the end of this month, we're done talking about Overflow. Uh, and in the meantime, as we're hitting the home stretch here, uh, I want to thank everybody that's been a part of different committees and participating in this. It's been a blast. I was thinking last night, it was so fun at the table I was at, and then afterwards setting up chairs and tearing down and cleaning up. And then this morning, I come into church, and we're setting up more chairs, and, and the worship team's uh, getting their gear around, and you know what? It was so enjoyable to be around God's people. I'm sorry, but if you come here with frowns on your face, you're, you're a grumpy Gus, you got to get rid of that, okay? There's a lot of great people in this church. It is so good to worship together. And for those of you visiting, I'm so glad you're here today. There's quite a few visiting, and we're just glad you're here. We've got a mission at this church. It's really simple. Love God. So we come here, and we come worship Him on Sunday. And we go out, and we go be the church, and that's loving others. And so that's about evangelism and discipleship. Um, I'm going to ask Tracy to wait till next week. I want you to share about next week. You and Roger have had some great stuff going on from our, our old series, D90X, Discipleship. But um, there's some, some testimony we're going to hear next week uh, about what's going on. And it's been a lot of great stuff. And I was praying about this morning. Okay, I'm, I'm in a series of overflow. I was going to talk about overflowing uh, health and relationships and all that. And, and God laid something on my heart this week. It's like, mm, no, there's something else. You know, you hit this, you read this a couple weeks ago, I want you to preach on this. So I'm changing gears this morning because I really want to preach on something that, uh, that God lays in my heart from His Word. So when we're at 1 Samuel 30, and sort of set the stage here for this chapter, we all know David. David's the one who slew Goliath, right? And Goliath was a Philistine from Gath. David, this little boy, defeats Goliath. He is anointed to be the next king after Saul. Okay? But what happens is because David was so victorious in defeating Goliath, and then he goes into the army under Saul, and he becomes a really incredible commander and very victorious in everything that everybody's giving praise to David. Way to go, David. Way to go, David. And Saul's sort of getting nothing out of this. Saul gets jealous and wants to kill David. Now, David's supposed to be the next anointed king, and here's the current king of God's nation trying to assassinate David. So David has to flee for his life. So hiding in caves, and he's got his group of men that have followed him and been a part of his life. They're out and about all over the place. And we get to a point in time in recorded history where David gets so desperate, and he almost starts, I'm going to say, start drifting a little bit from God, that he flees into Philistine territory. Now if you remember this, Goliath was a Philistine. That was the enemies of God. And now David makes home in this new nation with the Philistines. You know you've drifted when you've made a dark place your home. And that's where David is. So I want to set the stage there because as he's fleeing Saul and still anointed, he is now living amongst the Philistines. And he has this little home, this little town. And now the Philistines are going to go fight the Israelites. And David's like, well, I guess I'm living with the Philistines. I should go fight with the Philistines against the Israelites. David, are you feeling okay? This isn't right. 
So he gets his warriors, his soldiers, they're going to go with the Philistines to go fight the Israelites, and the commanders of the Philistine army say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's going on here? This is, do we not remember who David was? He took out our champion. He's an Israelite. We, we do not want him with us. So they sent David and his men back home to their, their town, not fight with them. I mean, David and his men were all like, oh, hey, we're, we're warriors. We're ready to fight. And now they're being told to go home. Very confusing story, isn't it? just doesn't seem right. That's where we are. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Let's read this. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home, remember, they'd just been sent home. We don't want you, David. We don't want you help. Go home. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and had burned Ziklag to the ground. They'd carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and men saw the ruins and realized what happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. You can imagine this. They're, they're coming home. They've just been said, we don't need your help in fighting this, this battle. So David and his men are like, hey, I guess we get to go home. As much as we're warriors and we want to fight, we can go home to our families. You have to understand, if you were going to go to war back then, you would be off for months, possibly years, and you would not see your family in a long time. Worst case scenario, you would be killed in war and you would never see your family again. These men are now thinking, guess what? We don't have to fight. We get to see our family. Some of us thought we would never see our family again. Some of us thought it would be months until we see our family. We're going to go home and see our family. It's only been three days. They've been, they've been marching and marching hard, and they're probably getting excited. But then, um, you know, it's maybe a little discouraged not being able to be a soldier and fight. They come over the hill. They get to the camp, and they'd notice maybe at a distance a lot of smoke. Okay, well, that's a lot too much smoke to be cooking and because uh, the men aren't around, so the wives are cooking for the rest of the people, the elderly and the children. They're not going to be cooking that much, so there seems to be a lot of smoke, and they... They cover 25 miles of marching each day, and they get home. They're tired. They're exhausted. They're ready to see their families. And what do they find? Their homes burned to the ground. Nothing but rubble, smoldering fires. Everybody's gone. Wives, children, everybody's gone. You talk about discouragement. Probably so excited to get home and nothing was there. While they were off with this Philistine army, their home was unguarded, and the Amalekites knew it. So the Amalekites came in around, did a few raiding parties, and raided their city. Destroyed everything. It was defenseless, burned it to the ground. Everything was burned, women, children, gone. What's amazing now, what do you think about this? What's amazing is that David brought this exact calamity upon other cities. If you were to go back just a couple chapters, 1 Samuel 27 and read through, it said that during this time among the Philistines, David made his living as a bandit, basically robbing cities, and whenever possible, it says, whenever David attacked the land, he neither left man nor woman alive. See, when David was fighting with the Philistines and raiding all these towns, he was destroying cities and killing everybody. It's funny now how David returns back. His city's been destroyed, but his family was not killed. They were all kidnapped and taken away. 
God gave him mercy when he probably didn't deserve it. The Amalekites, the Amalekites were even more merciful than David was. God in his great mercy does not discipline us the way we probably deserve at times. Amen? There's times we make some big mistakes. We deserve so much more. And God says, I'm going to hold back on you. I'm going to show you mercy. Let's read on. Let's go back to verse 3 and read that from there. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in serious trouble because his men were very bitter about losing their wives and children. And they began to talk of stoning them, but David found strength in the Lord his God. David and the men that were with him, you know, they lifted up their voices and wept and wept and wept till they could weep no more. We've all experienced times of weeping and sadness. These guys wept until they could weep no more. Tears were, there were no more tears in the tear ducts. They had nothing left in them. All had been lost at this point. David had no, nobody to support him. Israel was not there to support him. I mean, that was his home nation, right? Well, he had to run from King Saul. He has no nation to support him. The Philistines did not support him. They didn't want him. His family is all gone. He's by himself as a man. At least he had friends, right? No. As we read, the rest of his men are now turning on him because it was his decision as a leader to leave in the first place. So now everybody's turned against David. They want to stone him. They want to pick up rocks, pick up stones, and cast them upon David until he breathes no more. David's like the prodigal son. He's basically sitting in the pig pen right now of life saying, I'm at my lowest point. I am so broken right now. I have nothing left, nowhere to turn. And did you see what that last verse was that we read? David found strength in the Lord. Say that with me. David found strength in the Lord. Look at the person next to you and say, David found strength in the Lord. Let him know. Hmm. That is such a huge verse. I, you know, in your Bibles, if you're an underliner, writer, note taker, that's worth taking note. That's worth underlining. And in this whole chapter, that's one thing that sticks out when I open my Bible to 1 Samuel 30. David found strength in the Lord his God. You know, it took a lot to bring David to this place, but now he's here. God's his only strength. He has nobody else to turn to but God. This was sort of a backslidden, wayward, I've lost my direction type David, Okay. He's, he's the, I'm going to fight with the Philistines, David. That doesn't make sense, right? So why would God strengthen him? Why would you go to God and why would God say, I'm going to help you now? Because David is now at this lowest point in his life where he can go no further any other direction. God's rich in mercy and grace. And because David is now completely broken, he's ready to hear from God. Now, sometimes we think uh, we have to achieve God's blessing or strength, but David shows us another way. And David says, I'm broken. I'm coming to you, God. He didn't have to do anything. He just had to basically surrender to God. He received his strength from God and it flowed through him. And this wasn't some kind of a rah-rah, you know, mumble-jumble type power that came from God. This was God pouring into him and saying, you are my child. Let's start living like my child. This was the strength of a living God making himself real in the heart of a hurting man. This was an uncovering, unveiling of the eyes, seeing things like you've never seen before, like this is what I've got to do. 
strength and recognition and strength for brokenness, strength for repentance, strength for determination to win back what the enemy has taken. He has new strength. And I want you to think about this, how David found strength in the Lord, because sometimes we just sort of pass by this. We say, well, how did he find strength in the Lord? I want to tell you something. This is where we find strength in the Lord. First of all, I want you to think about this. He found strength in remembering that God loved him. How many times have we forgot that God loves us? We throw ourselves a pity party maybe or something. We forget the God of this universe loves you. Did you know that? John 3, 16, the very words of Jesus Christ. Like we said with the kids. Well, the Bible says, no, no, no. Jesus said. Now listen, Jesus walked this earth, born of the Virgin Mary, perfect in life, crucified, came back from the dead, eyewitnesses to hundreds, thousands. As he does all this, you tell me, who else in this world ever did that? Cricket, cricket, right? No one. If there's a man that can be perfect, walk on water, heal people, make the blind to see, be crucified, come back to life, and give hope and life to others, wouldn't you want to hear what he has to say? Absolutely. Would you believe in him? Absolutely. We believe a lot of crazy things today. Well, it was on the internet. Right? Okay. Somebody sent me this text. Hey, it was on Facebook. It's got to be right. right? Okay. Hey, Jesus said, that's all you got to tell me. And Jesus said what? For God so loved the world. That's you. That's me. Sometimes we forget that God loves us. You know, at this point, total loss, David probably saw this love of God when he got rejected by the Philistine leaders. Let me explain this. He's walking with these Philistine leaders going to march to fight, and the Philistine leader said, no, go home. What? what? Can't I go? No, get out of here. I'm not wanted. I, I can't go with you at this point in time any further. No. You know what that was? If he had gone with those Philistine leaders, he would have not returned till months later. When he would have came home months later, he would have come home to just rubble, no smoldering fires, no direction. There would have been no hope. They would have never went and chased down to find their family. The story would have ended right there. But because he came home three days later, there was a fire. There was evidence of where that army had marched away. You see, sometimes when bad things happen to us, that might be God's love, giving you opportunity to taste what God has in store for you. This past week... Um, our staff on, um, I can't remember what morning, what day was that day on Thursday? We left uh, Wauseon at 4.30 in the morning. And uh, I'm not used to leaving Wauseon at 4.30 in the morning. It was rather early to go to Chicago for this all-day conference. So as we're driving, we're thinking, you know, we're getting to Chicago, we're going to beat the, the rush hour traffic. We didn't. We got stuck in the rush hour traffic in the morning and slowly got our way through Chicago to get to the north side of Chicago for this conference. Two miles from the conference, we came upon a bad accident. A couple minivans and SUVs, I mean, they were so smashed up. And the first thing out of Sarah's lip in the back seat was this. Thank you, God, for that traffic jam in Chicago. See, we saw it as a slow in our progress in life. But you know what? Had we been on time, we might have been one of those vehicles in that accident. Thank you for that perspective, Sarah. See, we forget God's love sometimes may come in a way we don't expect it. David probably found strength by remembering God's promise and calling. Probably at that point in time, David had to remember, you know what? I was anointed king. 
I have this calling in life to lead this nation. Maybe God reminded him of that, and so he found strength in the Lord. Maybe at this point in time, David found strength to remember God's past deliverances. He started to remember back, hey, didn't God take care of me at this point in time? Hey, didn't God rescue me from this? Hey, when I had to face that giant, and oh boy. Sometimes we forget that God loves us and that he's taken care of us in the past, that he's given us a high calling, that he looks out for us even in the worst of situations that maybe we were spared something even worse than that and God was just taking care of us. Through whatever circumstance it was, David found strength in the Lord. Look at verse 7. He said to Abathar the priest, bring me the ephod. And so Abathar brought it. David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders and will I catch them? And the Lord said, yes, go after them. You'll surely recover everything that was taken from you. Now David spent time among the Philistines for a long time here. And this is the first time we ever see David going to God for anything. All of a sudden, David's brought to his knees. He realized, I need to find my strength in the Lord. So he goes to God. In our brokenness, that's usually the way it works. During this time of compromise and messing up, David simply didn't inquire in the Lord in any way. Now he does. And he does it uh, through the way that was described in the Old Testament using the Urim and the Thummim, which were part of the priest ephod. It was like a vest they wore. There was a pocket and there was two stones. The Urim and the Thummim. And, and those translation was uh, lights and perfections. And we can't be sure for sure how they were used. Most people believe that basically it's one of those things that one was a lighter stone, one was a darker stone, one was yes, one was no. And they would go to the priest. They would go say, God, what should we do in this situation? Should we do this, yes or no? And they would reach into the pocket and pull out a stone. And, oh, it's the light stone or the dark stone. That's our yes, that's our no. That's the way that some of that Old, Old Testament translation was used in that time. And God would basically then bless you on your obedience to that answer. Well, we don't go around today flipping coins, but you know what? It sort of sounds like sort of what they did. But that was what they did because that's how God spoke. That was God's word. Today, we have a thing called what? God's word. We don't have to go back to the Old Testament way they did things because they didn't have this then. Now we do. And so from that moment, that situation, David said, should I pursue these troops? Should I overtake them? And at one time, here's the thing, David would have never asked God. Just rewind a week earlier. Rewind a month earlier. Rewind a year earlier. David would have never gone to God on this. David would have said, troops, let's go. We're going after our families. We're going to overtake the Amalekites and we're going to annihilate them and out of his flesh, out of his own human decision, he would have made that decision on his own. But now, he brings everything to God. See, when you get to your lowest point in life, you finally figure out, you know what? I've been trying to do this on my own too long. I need God and God to help me. So you go to God, and he starts giving you direction as you hear from him his word. And it's an incredible thing as we see David do this. And he asked God about everything. What did God answer? Yeah. Yep, go after. And you will surely recover everything you've taken from him. Now, if you read this in another translation, it says this. Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover it all. See, God gave David something to do. He said, go. Pursue. There's an action here. 
David was obedient to that. Then God gave David a promise in doing this. You shall surely overtake them and without fail recover. See, when God gives us something to do, he also gives us a promise. If you do this, then this. Those are promises from God. A lot of times as Christians, we struggle with this. Well, I don't know if I should or should or not. Well, God said, do it, then do it. Because there's surely a blessing and a promise that follows that. A lot of times we don't taste that because we never get past the obedience part. God told David to go and pursue them. David did exactly that, and obedience to the Lord is often simple. Now, let me ask you this. If, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you call Jesus your Savior and Lord? Don't answer that. Don't raise your hands. But if you call Jesus your Savior, it's because you saved you from eternal death and hell. If you call Jesus your Lord, it's because he is your Lord. Lord means he reigns over me. He lords over me. And if he tells me to do something, I do it. He is your Lord. If God tells you this is what you're going to do and you don't do it, he's not your Lord. You are your own Lord. Ooh, now we're getting back to idolatry and putting ourselves on a throne that does not belong to us. If Jesus is our Lord, then we need to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Just like the song, right? Yes, yes, Lord. I will do this. At this point in time, David shows us who is on the throne again. Who is the Lord? God says, go. I'm going. You are my Lord. I will obey. David's men uh, go on the pursuit then. Let's read verse 9 and 10. So David and his 600 men set out, and they come to the brook Besor. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men. Now think about this. David's men were at a place of mutiny against him at one time, right? They're ready to stone him. But see, David did what? God strengthened him. He inquired of the Lord. He went to the Lord, and he did what God told him to do in obedience. And now these men are back on his side. See, as a leader, when you are strained away from God, it's very easy to turn your back on that leader. But when your leader finds strength in the Lord and follows the Lord, then guess what? They're all back in and going. So now they're all following him. But here's the deal. What a sight this would have been to see 600 men marching again, but at some point in time, 200 men are too exhausted to go any further. And those 200 men are like, can't go any further. We just marched three days before. We're tired from weeping at our loss. Now we're starting this march again can't go any further. So David and the other 400 men look at those 200 men and say, okay, guard our things, take care of this. We'll see you on the return. And the 400 men continue on with David. Now, this might have been uh, tremendously discouraging to David, but he understands this. The body is the body and we work together. And unfortunately, this part of the body is not going to be able to continue. So here's the responsibility for you. You will be doing this. Mission begins. 200 too exhausted to go. A lot of the leaders at this point in time would give up the chase and say, I don't have all my troops. What if one out of three decided to leave? Did you continue on or not? What if today in this church, one out of three people said, I don't like the way this church flows. Um, I'm out of here. Do we pack it up and go? Do we quit? No, we march on because we've got marching orders. David marches on. Charles Spurgeon said this. 
Expect then, O troubled one, that you will be delivered, but know that your sorrow may yet deepen, and you may have all the greater joy by and by. Translation, God tells you to be obedient, you be obedient, but as you go along, understand this. As you are obedient, you may face more struggles. You may get deeper into struggle before you find the joy and the celebration and victory. Look at verse 11. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake, two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't had anything to eat and drink in three days. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where did you come from? David asked him. He goes, I'm an Egyptian slave. Slave of an Amalekite. He went on to explain to David that his master had abandoned him because he was sick. He went to find out that he was part of this raiding party. He went to find out that, guess what? I know where they took your wives and kids. They nursed him back to health. And this young man, this Egyptian slave, said, I'll take you to them. Now, David and his 600 men are pursuing these Amalekites. They come across this collapsed man in the wilderness. These Egyptians are death, not eating or drinking anything in days. It would have been very easy to ignore him and pass him by. We're on a mission. Let's roll. Look at that guy over there in the field laying down. Don't have time for him. We've got to go do this for God. What does David do? David pauses. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's take care of him. They find out oh, you're an Egyptian slave. Oh, you're one of the guys that took our family and burned our place down. Okay, let's, let's get you back to health. That's a different heart of a different man, is it not? When he found strength in the Lord, his heart got changed completely. David is really walking in the heart of God now. As they moved on, thanks to the kindness of this man they nursed back to health, as the story goes on, God shows some unexpected blessing as he takes them right to where their camp is. Go on to verse 16. Verse 16 we read, So he led David to them. They found the Malachites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking, dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they'd taken from the Philistines in the land of Judah. Verse 17. David and his men rushed in among them, slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken and rescued his wives. Verse 19. Listen to this. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. They caught the Amalekites in the midst of their celebration. They were partying it up, drunken, and celebrating. Woo, look what we did to these people. David and his men catch up, and they overtake the camp and give back every single thing that was taken from them, and more, and more. God's promise was true. When David inquired of the Lord, God, what do you want me to do? Should I go, yes or no? Yes, okay. Go pursue them. Go pursue them and you'll give back everything. God's promise was true. God's promise didn't exclude David's cooperation. The promise invited his cooperation. God didn't say, I'm promising you'll get everything back. You just sit here and wait on it. No, God said, no, you are part of the solution. You must go into this. One author said this, Many who get into trouble seem to expect an angel to come and lift them up by the hair of their heads, but angels have other matters in hand. The Lord generally helps us by enabling us, and it's a way in which does us double good. It was more for David's benefit that he should 
himself smite the Amalekites, then God just hurl hailstones out of heaven upon them and destroy them. See, God gave David even more than he promised. David was obedient. He received the goods from the battle and beyond what he'd taken. And that was a blessing straight from the grace of God. Now here's the interesting part of the story, and here's the part that God laid upon my heart. Look at verse 21. David returned back to the brook and where he met up with the 200 men that had been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with them. Now check this out. They went out to meet David and his men, and David greeted them joyfully. I mean, here you say joyfully. See, here comes David, 400 men behind him with everything, the wives, children, and all the plundered. Here's the 200 men that were too exhausted to go any further. And David's like, hey, here we are to see you. And the 200 men are like, oh, David, there's my wife, there's my kids. And there's a great excitement going on here. But the 400 men back here, check out what happens. Some evil troublemakers among David's men said, hey, they didn't go with us. So they can't have any of the plunder that we recovered. Give them their wives and kids. But then tell them to get, get out of here. You stopped here. You don't get to rejoice with the rest of us. David said, no, 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 my brothers. Don't be selfish with what the Lord has given you. He's kept us safe. He's helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike. Have you ever heard anybody say that? It's in the Bible somewhere, right? Those who go to battle and those who guard the equipment. From then on, David made this decree and a regulation for Israel, and it is followed today. So David returns, and you know, basically what he's saying, guys, listen, whether you're holding the supply lines or whether you're on the front lines, we're a team. Share and share alike. Whether you gave little effort and you gave a lot of effort, we celebrate together. Listen very carefully. Whether you're committing to $2 over the next three years or $2,000 over dollars next year, we're committing together. What you give, God lays upon your heart, you give. How you serve, whether I'm going to just set up chairs on Sunday, or I'm just going to work with the kids, or I'm going to do 300 things in the church. Whatever God tells you to do in this church to serve, we serve together. Are you following me on this? There is no, hey, we do all the work in the church. We give all the money. You guys can't enjoy it. I'm like, oh, well, I can't, you know. You understand what I'm saying there? When I came across this, I looked at this, and I thought, Wow. Thank you. I know we know New Testament. We read the New Testament with the, the body of the church. But when we read this, and I, I'll, I'll tell you something, this took me back. I'll never forget this. My junior year in high school, we won state, uh, state championship in football. Now, I was a part of that team as a junior in high school. We had 100 people on our football team. It was a big team, okay? According to our state uh, regulation, the way it works in Indiana, you can only dress so many. I don't know how it works in Ohio, but in Indiana, you only dress so many people. So there's about 30 or 40 football players that did not get the dress at the state championship. Even though they're part of the team. They worked just as hard as everybody else. They did everything that the rest of the team did throughout the whole week. But hey, we're only allowed to dress so many. When we won and came home, got back to the gym for a pep rally, what they did was they handed out medals to only those who dressed. So you can imagine the other 30 plus players that were sitting in the stands and never got to walk out on the floor, never got a medal. And I'll never forget hearing a parent in the stands, because it got a little quiet for a second. And I'll never forget one of the dads yelling, what about the rest of the team? 
pin drop after that. Right away, the coach's face is turned. Everybody's like, oh. bring out the rest of the team, get them on the floor. Too late, point made. They had worked together as a team to be a state championship team. Everybody sweated just as much as everybody else, but only a few got recognized. My friends, this is the church. This is God's family. We serve together, whether you serve little or you serve a lot. Whether you give little or you give a lot. We are a church family. And I so appreciated coming across the scripture and God laying this on my heart and seeing how David handled this as a leader. You know? We serve together. We worship together. We give together. We love one another together. I'm so thankful for a church that sees that and says, together, together, together. Some of you don't know this, but together we're going to feed six school systems in the month of December. Some of you new to this church don't know that, but uh, every month of December, um, we contact their six school systems, not six schools, six school systems, elementary, high school. How much, how many of your kids are on reduced lunches? What's, what's the total bill for your school for reduced lunches? Okay. Check from True North. We are taking care of all your kids that are in reduced meals for the month of December. Your kids eat free. This church does that for six school systems. We started with this school, with the primary school, and then the middle school, then high. Then we went to six school systems. Why does this church do that? Not to brag and boast, and I, you know, I always tell you this from the front. We're not doing that to boast on ourselves. We do that because we know we're supposed to take care of other people and be the church. How can we do that? Let's feed people that are hungry. We've got people in our backyard that are hungry. So let's take care of them. So together, we give. And it's not for us. This overflow, oh, building for us. You know what? That's, that's what we're doing, yeah. So we can continue to do the ministry we're doing now in multiple ways. That's exciting to be a part of. Uh, I'm going to ask Ryan to come up here in a second. He's going to announce uh, the amount that we're going to commit to over the next three years. But before we do this, everybody stay with me on this, okay? I want to make sure you understand. I want to take you through what David did, how he got to that point where he could say what he said. He couldn't have said that earlier. I'm going to tell you this. His attitude at the end of retrieving his family, going back to when he first walked out of that city to go fight with the Philistines, was completely different. It was because God took a hold of him. Now listen, God strengthened him. David went to him and inquired of him. And he believed God's promise. And then he did what God told him to do. That was obedience. Then God showed him unexpected care and kindness to others. As God started working in him, he started loving people that were unlovable. With that Egyptian, right? And then God, I'm sorry, David saw it as God's victory. After they won and came back, he said, no, nah, this is God's victory, not ours. David would have maybe taken that victory upon himself earlier. His heart has changed. And David shared the reward with others. And David did what he could to mend relationships. You didn't, we didn't read the rest of the story, but the rest of the story is this. He took all the goods and the plunders and everything that they had taken, and he went back to all the previous cities that he had raided and gave it back to all of them. I'm sorry that I did this to you. I'm sorry that I did this to you. See, when God gets a hold of you, it changes how you love others. When you start getting on your knees and loving him, oh, it changes how you love others. Big time. Big time. Let me ask you this question. Are you feeling weak today? You've been feeling defeated? Have you, have you called upon the name of the Lord? Have you faithfully been seeking the Lord? Do you believe in God's promises? Are you faithful and obedient in doing what he's asked you to do? There's some questions I want to throw your way and I'm throwing my way. 
Let's do some soul searching. Let's ask. Let's be thankful that we have a merciful God that meets us in our brokenness and says, I want to bring victory in your life. Amen? Let's pray, and then Ryan's going to come up here and make an announcement. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for being an awesome and mighty God. I thank you, Lord, for opportunities <clears throat> that we have to learn about you. And through men and women in the Bible who did great things and who even messed up. And Lord, David's life was really messy at this point in time, and then he, in complete brokenness, fell before you. He sought you out. You spoke to him. He obeyed. He started loving others. He started giving you the credit where credit was due. He gave back and mended relationships. His life was completely changed. And he did it in reminding those that worked with him that they were doing this together as one family, one team, one church. So Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for so many people that serve in so many different ways. Nursery, GPS, and Gap, and those who set up and tear down. Those who help with bulletins and PowerPoints and, and sound. Lord, there's so many people that serve in various ways. People on different committees of overflow that have help with banquets and phone calls and letters and emails and newsletters. Lord, so many hands at work. And Lord, the commitments that are going to be made, whether it's small amounts, large amounts, Lord, together we celebrate together and worship you together as a church family. Thank you, God, for being an awesome and mighty God. We love you. In the name we pray. Amen. Brian, where is that? Come on up here. See if we can get a microphone for you. Red light this time. There we go. All right. Uh, so anyways, uh, I'm trying to be quick about this, but uh, we wanted to just make sure everybody knew, uh, just to get closure on this whole process, uh, we do have a follow-up team uh, that will just be you know, contacting people over the next couple of weeks just to get closure. There's not going to be hounding for months at a time, uh, but you know, we, we had... So anyways, we had, because uh, we had 56 families commit, and that's, that's great. We've got a, a nice uh, thing here to, uh, to announce. Uh, one quick comment that I will make. Uh, we, you know, we had our last meeting with, with Tom, Gilm, or Tom Murphy uh, on Monday, and he and I had a conversation. We talked about you know, that million-dollar hope, you know, the, the dream that we had out there. And, of course, you know, he said to me, he's, he's done these campaigns hundreds of times. And in his experience, he says, you know, that's, you know, God can do what he wants, but in his experience, a church our size, if, you know, you can, you can probably expect right around double what your current, uh, current amount giving is, and this is his words to me, anything beyond that is you're walking on water, and you know how Tom says it, you're walking on water, you really are, <laughs> you know, that's how he said it to me, well, folks, we're, we're doing a little better than walking on water. Uh, we're doing actually quite a bit better than walking on water. Those 56 families uh, committed to $524,110. Wow. So I, I think a round of applause is absolutely, absolutely necessary. Cool. Thanks, guys. Cool. Wow. God is good, amen? I know the kids came in because they wanted to hear because the kids have been excited about giving. Matter of fact, um, and I don't... No, she's not back there. Um, a little eight-year-old. Can I share this? You shared it with me last night. I should have asked permission before I started to spread it. We've shared it at our banquets and stuff uh, about how Carrie came up and, and she gave me a little envelope with $41 in it. And that $41 was basically out of her savings account and babysitting money. 
she basically emptied it out to give to the church. And um, well, as I've shared that story the last, this past week, uh, because uh, she just wanted to do that and uh, God laid that upon her heart, well, somebody anonymously gave her another $41. Um, and it's like, you know what, you gave that 41 to God, here's 41. And well, you know what you did? <laughs> She's given that back to God too. So you see, when you give to God, God says, I'm going to give back to you. And guess what? He just took her gift and doubled it. Okay? He just took her gift and doubled it. I'm excited to see what God's going to do over the next three years with the gifts that you give and the gifts that I give and all of us give together. What God's going to do with that, it's an amazing thing. God is good. Let's celebrate together and let's, let's sing a song of worship as we close out today.